0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Debatable, the podcast breaking down controversial topics, unpopular opinions, and social issues one conversation at a time. You are hosted by me, Crystal Andrews, writer, author, and founder of ZFeed. Now, this episode is a pretty ambitious conversation about power, capitalism, and the problems with how most of us talk about the environmental crisis, which was all kind of rolled up in those popular, we are the virus memes earlier in the year. So to break it down, I am joined by Tim Lasordo, the founder and national director of Democracy in Colour, a racial and economic justice organization led by people of colour. Thanks for joining me on the podcast,
1: Tim. Uh, it's great to be here
0: now this is a little bit of a challenge i didn't actually prep you with but can you give me your elevator pitch for democracy in color because i love that this like your organization does so much you must have quite a good skill now of giving people what it is in a a nice little sound grab
1: (laughs) I don't know if it's a good skill, but I'll give it a a red (laughs) hot go. So Democracy in Colour is a racial and economic justice organisation led by people of colour. Um, We do two main things. So we do political advocacy around economic fairness and anti-racism. And the second main thing we do is a lot of leadership development and training work designed to strengthen the political voice of people of colour. Uh, we were set up about two years ago to address three sort of critical gaps we saw in the anti-racism space. The first one being that most work that happens in this space is service delivery, education work, work that's obviously very important. Uh, but we saw a, a gap in, in the political advocacy side and we thought it was important that an organisation existed that contested power um, uh, with and on behalf of the com- of communities of colour and that's why we were set up. The second gap being that uh, um, this, this space, you know, the anti-racism space is quite white um, and we thought it was important that an organ, you know, a racial justice organisation that was actually led by people who experienced racial injustice existed, and the third gap, which we might talk a little bit about um, later on, is is that we thought it was really important that um, you know racism was approached and tackled from a structural perspective, and so for us, uh, our analysis of racism is very much born out of this idea that we operate and live in a broken economic system uh, that. uh, Creates a lot of pain uh, and inequality for a a vast majority of people uh, for the benefit of a tiny minority, uh, this political and economic elite. And the only way this elite um, uh, maintains this very unequal status quo that doesn't work for the vast majority of people is by weaponizing race and racism and getting us you know, getting working people to point the finger of blame and um, shout at each other. Uh, and so that's core to, to our analysis of of the issue that we work on. Uh, and we thought that 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 sort of conversation was missing. and We wanted to value out in that space.
0: That is huge, but I friggin love it. And it must be, you know, this is, I suppose, kind of a side note to the conversation we're going to have, but it must be a very fascinating time for you to be operating this organization in right now with so much attention that is exactly on the issues that you tackle.
1: Yeah I think it's really interesting you know every every time something like this happens uh, you know it always it does happen over and Uh, over again
0: that's that's like a point that people should know.
1: Yeah, that's uh, you know suddenly people remember that structural racism exists, or in a you know in in the states that uh, uh, police brutality exists and is a thing. Um, uh- and and then here in Australia, that's that uh, you know, that deaths in custody is a thing, or police brutality against First Nations people and other people of color is a thing. Um, and it always strikes me that uh, you know, obviously, police brutality existed before George Floyd was brutally murdered um, by police. And and again, you know, obviously, First Nations um, deaths in custody existed um, before um, we remembered it was a thing, or you know, it was part of the consciousness. Again, so yeah. I think it's really interesting. What what does it take? In order for our, you know, our compassion and our consciousness on issues to to, to be sparked, um, and it's and it's and I think it's caused the self-reflection that it takes someone dying, you know, it takes um, the sort of uh, 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 you know, this, this, the dramatisation of an issue through um, not just someone dying, but it being captured on video, um, uh, you know, it takes that in order for us, for, for, um, uh, us to realise that actually, you know, there, there is, there are, there's something wrong with the status quo and the way things are operating here
0: yeah and it 's exactly your expertise in advocating and very nicely articulating these issues, um, which is the reason why I wanted to speak to you today about a very interesting trend in memes, funnily enough that um yeah. we start to that we saw start to spread at the beginning of the coronavirus global health pandemic um, and i 'm sure for everybody listening. Once I start explaining what these memes are, you'll know exactly what it was about. But basically, as soon as much of the developed world went into lockdown, we all went into our homes, there were less cars on the road, big metropolitan cities were suddenly very quiet, very shut down. There were a lot of uh, imagery, lots of memes spreading around the internet, sproking this idea that the planet was beginning to heal because we'd stopped you know, being so active on it mm. and that we humans, I say we in inverted commas, were actually the virus, not the coronavirus, that humans were the virus. Now, personally, I had um, beef with a lot of these memes because on, on one hand they had a lot of factual inconsistencies or were yeah. just plainly untrue. So I, the first one I actually recall seeing was about um, – there was like an image of really clean water and it was saying, you know, this is the waters of the water in the canals of Venice, Mm. you know, only six weeks after Italy's gone into shutdown, the planet is healing. We are the virus. Um, And then if you actually did a little bit deeper digging, you know, the reason why the waters were so clear is not necessarily because there was less pollution, but because there was less boat traffic on the canals the boat traffic just stirs up the sediment and the sand on the bottom of the canal. So it's murky yeah. because there's motion, not necessarily because of pollution. So it was just little tweaks like that where you go, okay, there's an issue here on the one hand because what's being presented is not necessarily factually correct. Yeah. But it, the idea of humankind being a virus on the planet actually links and extends to a much more dangerous ideal of ecofascism. Mm -hmm. which I suppose in its simplest terms is the concept that the climate crisis and the environmental destruction that's been caused on this planet is directly uh, linked or directly the cause of overpopulation of the planet. And therefore the only way to fix it is to control or reduce the population on the planet, um, which is obviously a very short hop, skip and a jump away from advocating for genocide <laughs> and yeah. this extreme eco-fascism is something that actually a lot of uh, right-wing terrorists cite in their kind of manifestos. So there was a lot going on in what would, it kind of seemed on the surface was an innocent meme trend and people had their heart in the right place of wanting to, you know, encourage people to reconsider their own personal yeah. you know, consumption footprint yeah. But I wanted to talk to you about, about what happened and about how we can synthesize that. And I guess my first, my first question is from the point of view of someone who is you know, an advocate, was there an element of being torn when you were seeing these memes spreading? Because on the one hand, I do understand that you know, people were trying to encourage others to recognize the impact that we have on the planet. But on the other yeah. hand, it was really kind of wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 well look i think you know when starting uh, you know, in a conversation of, of, of like whether coronavirus is, is like quote unquote you know the vaccine that the earth needs or um, that quote unquote humans are, are the virus, I think it's helpful to start with uh, first pr- principles. Uh, and and to this date, you know, COVID-19 has has infected more than nine million people. It's resulted in over 475,000 deaths. And I think as a first principle, um, anything that's that's killed more than 475,000 people, we can probably say is a bad thing, um, and and not you know anything to be valorized as, as as some sort of vaccine or something that's you know good for society. Um, uh, easily you can quite yeah. easily
0: say that it's, it's not that's a right. good thing.
1: And, and, and you know they're just top-line figures right so number of infections number of deaths you know research published by the UN in April warns that half a billion people could be pushed into poverty. Uh, the UN reported 1.5 billion children in April that's 87 percent of the world student population were affected by school closures, um, and so for many kids uh, in, in countries like Australia, that's that's fine. You know, they were able to to engage in online learning, or uh, they're back in in-person schools. But for many um, other children in the global south, um, that sort of writes off the school year. And there's plenty of research that shows that if you miss um, just even one year of schooling, um, that has significant impacts on future employability. You know, um, uh, teen pregnancies, a whole bunch of different um, other issues that impact uh, your quality of life uh, and your ability to um, get out of poverty. Um, the UN's mm-hmm. Labor um, Agency has warned some 1.6 billion workers in the informal economy. That's nearly half the world's workforce. 1.6 billion people are in immediate danger of having their livelihoods destroyed by the economic catastrophe triggered by COVID-19. So, look, as a first principle, you know, um, COVID-19 is, is is definitely no vaccine. It's, just, it's horrendous unimaginable loss of life. Uh, and it's and it's and it's also this wide scale Uh, human suffering right like it's it's um, countless jobs that have been lost you know everybody here would know um, of someone in Australia who would know of someone who's had their who's had their job you know who's lost their job um, who'd be worried about their ability to make rent uh, next month or their ability to Mm. make their mortgage uh, payments or put food on the table Um, and that's nothing compared to the experiences of some of our pacific neighbors or some of our you know um, less fortunate neighbors um, around the world uh, so i just think that uh you know if, if we to to say that uh you know th- what's happening right now in any way is a good thing um i just think reflects you know not a deep appreciation of like what is actually happening right now um and it's not that people you know the implications of this aren't that people are like no longer driving or going on on flights to like their Bali holiday um it's people are dying you know people are dying people are losing their jobs people's livelihoods and lives are being turned upside down um and uh know yeah, i think i think if you believe that this is a good thing i think you just need to maybe take a deeper look at uh how this is impacting people in really terrible ways um and 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 once you, you start to do that there's there's no other you know lens that you can see this through as 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 uh, other than you know this this uh, huge like um, uh, level of, of human suffering, uh, so uh, I think that that's one point. You know, um, I think the <laughs> other point is is, is that um, um, like the idea of this being a moment that sparks a sort of greater appreciation of like our our consumerism levels or like our consumption trends. I think is an interesting um is an interesting conversation because i think encouraging individuals to like reevaluate their lifestyle positions i think positions individuals is the problem and for someone you know i've always sort of believed that the big challenges we face, whether that be climate change or environmental degradation or um, spiralling income inequality, whatever it is, you know, structural racism, all of these things are structural and systemic problems. Um, they're not the, the you know it's it's climate change and environmental degradation aren't the results of like people not recycling or not having um, energy saving light bulbs. You know, it's it's the fault of like it's not you know, yeah it's
0: not it's not you the individual. It's that's it's right. not, it's not at that level it 's
1: mu- yeah, right. much bigger
0: than it 's much bigger than you and I and our next door neighbor
1: yeah and, and well let 's just take climate change as an example you know since one thousand nine hundred and eighty eight more than seventy percent of global emissions have come from just one hundred companies, so um, you, you can do all of the the recycling you want, but if the dyna Carmichael <laughs> coal mine is going to be built in the coming years you know, that 's a carbon bomb you know if if fracking goes ahead in the northern territory that 's another carbon bomb um, if there 's all of these like these carbon bombs, and we're just talking about climate change here, uh, that, that have nothing to do with you as an individual. Um, they have everything to do with the decisions that policymakers make, um, with who you vote for, uh, with what big corporations do. And you know, humans are not the problem. It's mega corporations that have known about anthropogenic climate change for decades, uh, that have run propaganda campaigns to sow seeds of doubt in the science, that have lobbied for inaction, and seen their profits skyrocket as a result. They're the problem, they're the virus, you know, the broader economic system that we operate in, in the virus. And this is really important because you can't hope for a solution if you don't actually understand the problem. You know, it's just like basic, you can't, how can you, you advocate for a solution if we don't understand the problem itself and the system it's built on? So I think spending time to analyze, like deeply analyze what is actually the problem here? Um, is really valuable because you can't actually then create solutions if your um, your operating system, you know, like what your what you assume the problem is, is actually not, you know, not actually the case. Um, so yeah, you'll never you'll never get anywhere. That's right. Yeah,
0: you'll never get anywhere if you're trying to fix something that was never able to address the problem in the first place. I mean, I want yeah. to pick up on like on on a thread that you've woven into this really nicely. I think part of the the issue that I had with the, with this train of thought that humans were the virus Mm. is it was this weird way of positioning humankind as separate to the ecosystem of the planet. And the way I kind of see that is like, we are part of, we are from nature, basically. We're part of yes. the ecosystem. We're a species. And, you know, the same way that um people were understandably very upset at, you know, the impact that the Australian bushfires had on, for example, the koala population in Australia yeah. and putting them on, on the brink of extinction. And nobody wanted to see the, you know, the pain and suffering, the undue pain and suffering on these adorable little creatures, right? Like only how many months ago was that? It was just in January. Yeah. The fact that we right. would ignore the pain and suffering of a human creature, you know, of, of our fellow human beings, we are something that also lives and breathes. We are part of this planet. It so, was so weird to me and it was so missing the point of it's not human beings. We are a natural part of the ecosystem. We play our role in the ecosystem. But it's to your point, the structures that we have erected yeah. That are the issue, not human beings
1: ourselves. Yeah, that's right. and so like then that kind of goes born. to
0: like, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, We're born. Uh, they, they We've evolved. Born we evolved the, 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 from
1: the planet. Yeah, that's right. You know, we weren't born with the 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 the, the compulsion compulsion to to consume, you know, uh, radical amounts, or or to like um, derive our happiness and sense of purpose from. Um, uh, uh, you know like um, uh, how our possessions or or um uh, consumerism and 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 like to 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 be real you know that's that's a um a, a, a sort of trend of, of, of like the global north, of like Western societies more than anything. Mm. And so when we talk about like overpopulation being the problem, the people who say that aren't talking about overpopulation generally, they're saying like overpopulation of black and brown people, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just like uh, um, socially acceptable, you know, racism. It's, 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 it's like trying to put up a nice like facade um, uh, for, for very um, dangerous ideas Uh, And so like on one level, it's just like not accurate, you know, if you look at where global emissions come from, like we just talked about before, they come from these huge mega corporations, they come from fossil fuel companies They come from mega, you know, these mega mines, these carbon bombs, quote unquote. Uh, And and it's it's not, they don't come from um, the the people, you know, that that you're talking about, who have often contributed least to the problem, but are going to uh, experience the worst impacts when we're talking about climate change. And and, and really, when we're talking about any issue, because that's just how our system is is, is sort of built to operate.
0: Yeah, that's how we've built it. So like, would you say that, because then I did see this counter thread coming up saying Mm. that neo-capitalism is actually the virus, not humans, but the neo-capitalist system that we've structured. Do you feel like that's a more accurate assessment of what's going on?
1: Yeah, I think the virus is capitalism. I think think that's a literal (laughs) metaphor, right? Like, um, you think about, you know, not all viruses, but some viruses um, kill their hosts by stealing too much energy, by overwhelming their hosts as a result of their exponential growth. And that's, I think, uh, quite an apt analogy for capitalism, that, um, you know, this is a system where growth is the sole commandment. It is a system uh, that treats human beings, that treats us like property, that turns us into, you know, these profit and loss calculators that sees us as numbers on somebody's spreadsheet Uh, and our our broader system, our broader economic system brutalizes, humiliates and dehumanizes people and fundamentally it's a system that prioritizes the accumulation of profit over everything, over life itself. It's this idea that you can have infinite growth on a finite planet and like you can talk about, you know, all the the finer details of, um, uh, 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 you know, the economics until the cows come home but at the end of the day, that is like the, 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 the base principle, you know, like consistent growth, you know, growth is good. Profit is always good. Um, uh, and it needs to be, um, incessant, uh, and this idea of infinite growth on a finite planet, you know, it's just not compatible. Like it's I not think-
0: logical. It doesn't actually make sense. Right. It's not possible. And I think
1: Right, I think it, it's, it's, it's 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 like to me it's 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 not it's 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 not not logical. Yes, and it's also like actually incompatible with life. You cannot have a system that's um is that that not just re- thrives on infinite growth, but actually relies on it. That if it doesn't have infinite growth, like we're, we're, we're in a, 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 a like an economic crisis, um, a system that that relies on that just to survive. Is one that is incompatible with life, and is like the very definition of a virus. This exponential growth that overwhelms its host, and it is overwhelming us. It's overwhelming our ecological systems. Um, you know, we're entering into the the, the sort of um, next great extinction crisis, driving extinction levels to heights we haven't seen in sixty six million years. Um, it's uh, you know resulting in, in extraordinary levels of um, uh, uh, economic inequality around the world. Um, and uh, it's, it's resulting in, in a large scale uh, sort of societal displacement as um, uh, the results of that economic inequality um, play out uh, in the voting booths and the rise of, you know, far right reactionary um, uh, insular uh, 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 you know con uh, political con artists you know come to come to play people like Trump and uh, Morrison to a certain degree, Modi and uh, you know bolsonaro and all of mm. these people we 've seen um, and
0: and sorry. the nuts thing is it's it also is overwhelming the economic system as well, which kind of became evident to me in how quickly things crashed mm. when we took you know we took we take one Step out of the path, we break one link in the chain, and then the whole thing fell down within a matter of months. Um,
1: yeah, that's right. You, you know that, that is
0: not is... that's not a sustainable system if yeah. if it's going to require such precision to keep churning at that rate and to keep the money cycling. Then maybe we should be looking for another, you know, another network that is not mm. going to fall down at a moment's notice with just because we we're going at, at such speed as we were.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really important. You know, one of the important takeaways from COVID nineteen is that it hasn't created any problems necessarily. It's just exposed and exacerbated pre existing inequalities. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And it. so, um, you know, like when we're thinking about how does. Um, COVID-19 impacts migrant workers, for example, or undocumented workers or international students or, you know, how it's exposed this sort of um, increased racial abuse towards um, Asians, uh, people of Asian backgrounds, you know, all of these things existed uh, beforehand, it's just exposed them and exacerbated them, taken them to the sort of nth degree.
0: To go back, I guess, to the, the climate emergency and another yes. thing that we kind of have touched on that was really evident in these memes was you could feel the privilege, right, of someone who would create and share this has the privilege of being able to look at the, the health pandemic that happened, but also to look at the climate crisis mm. as something that requires adjustment for them, adjustment from themselves to change their lifestyle a little bit but still assuming that they'll be able to continue on in relevant, relative comfort yep. but not acknowledging that the climate crisis for many people around the world, it's not an issue of reevaluating how much stuff they buy but it's literally an issue of will their village be underwater? Mm-hmm. Will they have yeah. to migrate to another country? Will they be able to survive? And I mean, you you mentioned it, and like I'm just going to go there and say it. Like these are black and brown communities that are facing that issue more so than white communities right now. I guess in the immediate there are neighbors. There
1: are the Pacific Islands. Uh, they literally our neighbours uh, that are going to be you know, for us, it's going to result, climate crisis for Australians, it's going to result in a, in a, a radical shift to our way of life. And there's no doubt mm-hmm. about it. But for others, as you were saying, it's an is existential threat. Uh, they literally will not have, you know, our Pacific Island neighbours uh, literally won't have homes if we continue on the current trajectory of warming. Um, uh, and... Uh, uh yeah it's and it's and it's very hard to to know what's going to happen because uh, a lot of the worst predictions that scientists sort of played out years ago um are actually being uh uh you know outstripped um right now and uh you know there's all of these um uh very you know uh sort of worrying trend lines that you know once breached we don't know what the implications of those are because they've never really been breached before And so it's very hard to know how this will sort of exponentially roll over as each each thing sort of compounds and plays on each other um but yes you know it's yeah it's, and, it's, and that's where you know
0: organizations like democracy in color i mean i think do have an interesting role to play now because the fact of the matter is if if climate if the climate emergency is a global issue, which it is, obviously not all countries are democratic ones. Not all countries mm-hmm. make their decision making have their decision making run in the same way. Mm-hmm. Australia is a democratic society, and I think for a lot of us, we because that's what we know and it's our frame of reference, we just imagine that all other global leaders and decision makers create their policies and make their decisions in the same way that our country does. However, if we all have to deal with this together, but not all Mm -hmm. countries are making their decisions in the same way, what are some of the issues that are going to come up there? You know, Australia has our own policies, but are India making the same decisions is china making the same decisions in the same way of course they're not and how does that all how yeah. does that all mesh together like can we even get to a place where we all agree on what to do about yeah.
1: it well i think that's a very uh big question and i don't uh, <laughs> i like don't to throw know. the big ones out there <laughs> yeah i don't know um, you know i'll take a step Look, I think there are different, uh, multifaceted, you know, components, uh, different facets uh, to to that answer. I think that, like, the first component is that um, authoritarian governments, you know, um, only serve vested interests, uh, and so they're they're <laughs> always going to be quite quite dangerous because there's no accountability, you know, there's in in the nature of what it is, uh, and there are no checks and balances. Um, and so you look at a country like China, for example, um, and it's actually doing. Uh, uh, look, relatively speaking, okay um, when it comes to some forms of climate action in terms of its, uh, you know, investments in renewables and, and definitely not okay in others and very terribly and many other <laughs> human rights um, issues, not to mention the one million Uyghurs locked up in concentration camps in um, East Turkestan. Um, but uh, look... There's no guarantee, like, what is driving that? It's just like there is no guarantee that's going to continue Um, because there's, uh, what is driving that government is like vested interests that Mm. prop up its own power. Um, as opposed to like the public interest or the common good, you know, it's this. There's this idea of this this narrow interest um, that is driving public policy decisions, as opposed to uh, you know the public good or what's in the best interests of the community. Um, and there's just no accountability, no way to um, to uh, no checks and balances on, on, on power. Um, and and that's not to say what uh, you know. You know, I, I just think that's why democracy is, is so important, because the promise mm. of democracy is that inequality of resources can be breached by a quality of voice. That you might not be a billionaire or a millionaire, but you, theoretically at least, hypothetically, um, you both have one vote. You know, the billionaire has one vote and you do too as a you know, working class person. In theory. Um, In theory, In theory <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, and so I think that's why, why you know, the, the in theory caveats really important because democracy is being perverted right now by mega corporations, by money in politics, by lobbyists. And that's why it's really important for, you know, everybody who's listening to this podcast and all of our friends and families to get involved in politics and advocacy, because, uh, uh, we need to counteract the disproportionate power that big business and lobbyists and money in politics have over our democratic systems right now, because they are perverting our democracy. Um, and it's making democracy not work as intended. You know, you just look at how the the mining tax was um, uh, was was destroyed, annihilated by um, a well-run and very well-resourced, you know, multi-million-dollar campaign by uh, the mining resources lobby um the minerals uh, lobby um or you look at how the carbon price was shot down by you know another very well resourced um uh lobbyist campaign and and uh, a, a liberal opposition that saw political currency in it um so you can see how you know long-term action and you just look at broadly you know how um how uh, how sad and sick you know the Political conversation around climate change is in this country um, for for further evidence, uh, but you can just see how that the this idea of like what is in the common good, um, what is uh, you know beyond like this this you know short term um, this short termism um, this myopic policymaking. Um, if we are to have uh, you know public policy that that really prioritises the common good, that prioritises you know community wellbeing. Um, our 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 voice, the voice of community, needs to be uh, much stronger. Our power needs to be much stronger in relation to the power of you know lobbyists um, and and politicians and 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 big business and the like. Um, so the I only think I way that think-
0: we can outweigh, like we can't as individuals throw the money that some of these lobby groups and some of these very well-resourced billionaires and interest groups can throw at the problem. But what we can counteract with on the other side is go, okay, we don't have money. We need numbers. We need like as many people to voice their opinion as possible and make that such a number that a government can't ignore in favour of cash. And that's kind of the transaction that we're in now. If you you don't have money, you need exactly as you say, it's community. So you need as many people behind you as possible pushing
1: well, we need to do with, with people what the other side does with money. They've got organised yep. money and we need to have organised people. Um, and so, you know, they say that democracy is not a spectator sport and it's not. Uh, and uh, you can be sure <laughs> that, that. You, you might you might think that, um, uh, you know, you might be disillusioned with politics and disenfranchised and say that politics is not for you. Um, but the sad reality is, or the good reality, you know, whichever way you want to look at it, um, everything is politics. You know, every single aspect of your life is politics. and And whether you recognise it or not, that's, Completely up to you, um, but you can be rest assured that uh, you know the uh, the billionaires and millionaires and the big corporations—they recognise this and they're definitely lobbying, um, and they've got their voice in the ears. Um, of, of politicians and decision makers at all levels. Uh, and so um, you might be, you know, um, uh, sitting on the sidelines, but they're not. Um, and so someone is making decisions on your behalf and someone is, is talking about issues that affect you. Um, and if you're not in the game, you can be rest assured they're probably not uh, advocating for your interests. Um, so, you know, we've got to all get involved. Um, it's, it's not about leaders or anything like that. It's, it's on all of us.
0: Yeah. And this goes to like an interesting concept and a question that I wanted to ask you, even though I have a feeling I'll know your answer um, around, you know, if we if we looked at it and said, okay, you can have a choice between an authoritarian government or a dictatorship that is pro-environment versus a democratic government that doesn't care about the environment, which would you rather have? Or are they both just as bad as each other? I'll throw or that one could- to you. <laughs>
1: Uh, in my opinion, I think authoritarian governments are definitely um, uh, much worse because yeah. again, you know, it goes to this idea that they only serve vested interests. There's no accountability. There are no checks and balances. They might care about the environment now, but there's who knows what they're going to care about tomorrow. Um, it's, it's, it's based off whatever will serve Um, their vested interests and their vested interests are whatever's going to keep them in power because that's the nature of what an authoritarian Mm -hmm. government is. And we're just talking about the environment here. And it's very likely um, that on the many other issues that we all care about, you know, human rights ones, um, uh, economic equality ones, et cetera, uh, they're probably quite bad on. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, you can't take a single issue um, uh, perspective to this. You can't see issues in silos. You can't just see the environment as the environment and, you know, um, advocacy on that and, and progress on the environment is is the be-all and end-all, because Mm -hmm. that's what got us into this situation in the first place, Um, you know, uh, uh, recognizing this idea that uh, not taking a structural and a systemic lens. Um, and you talked about the idea of a democratic government that doesn't care about environmental issues, but like the idea of being in a democracy is that you can force its hands. You know, you have power when you, you think you have power, you know, You're like, and I think p- people feel like they, 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 they're, they're, powerless. And I think, you know, there are lots of things our government does um, that does you know, tangibly disenfranchise us. But I think the most powerful thing our government does that, that disenfranchises us is create the perception um, that we are disenfranchised and and you know we are the ones that sort of can empower ourselves or, or disempower ourselves and if you think you're powerless then you are powerless and if you think you're powerful politically then you are also politically powerful because if you think you're powerless politically then you're not going to you know write a letter to your your mp or um ring your mp's office or organize a meeting with your local mp or write to your you know your local newspaper or say something on social media or call into talk back radio because you think you're powerless and if you know, everybody thinks like that, then nobody's doing those actions. And if nobody's doing those actions, then the only people politicians are hearing from are the, you know, the six-figure page lobbyists in Canberra or on Spring Street or wherever. So, but if, if everybody starts to believe that actually, you know, of course my voice alone is not going to change things, but my voice with a thousand others, 10,000 others, 100,000 others, a million others, um, writing letters to the editor or signing petitions or whatever it is, um, that's going to make a difference. Uh, and we, that's why we all need to get involved, right? It's, it's, it's not just one of us or 10 of us or 100 of us or the people who are, you know, um, love talking about politics. It's on all of us because that's the only way this works. Um, it's, it's this collective responsibility, you know? Um, so I think, you know, th- that if we all got involved, um, and it, the the democratic government that doesn't care about environmental issues at least that gives us a chance to force the hand because if we all organized collectively um, then we could force that democratic government by the nature of what it is uh, to care about environmental issues because if they don't we just vote them out and we vote in um, uh, representatives that represent our interests uh, and and our issues and our and our priorities and our communities
0: and that's you know arguably what a lot of people i think would say Australia has right now is is a democratic government that Whether it doesn't care about the environment or whether it's been, as we've spoken about, very effectively uh, convinced to maybe turn away from some of these issues, Um, we're still in this really with a shot. And the more pressure that we can put on decision makers, I mean, that's the tool we've got, right? So you've got to use what's at your disposal. And if this is what we've got, this is what we need to start getting really noisy about. Timmy, are you you going to go into politics? I feel like that's Uh, a... A good move for you.
1: <laughs> I mean, just one other thing on that is just like, yeah. I think it's really important that people see their democratic um, sort of responsibility is beyond voting. You know, it, it can't just be about voting once every three years. Um, it's it's got to be more than that. Um, and that, that's the baseline, you know, voting is the baseline. You should definitely vote, um, but you've also got to, um, uh, you know, your, your politicians work for you. So make them work for you. Make them earn their six figure salary. Um, you know, well, that's har- it. They're supposed to office. represent you.
0: And, yeah. and the only way they can represent you is if you tell them what That's matters right. to you, you, you have That's to right. actively tell them. So then when they don't do what their constituents have asked, then you've got a grounds to be like, hey, this is not what we want. This is not what yeah. we told you that we wanted. So if you're not doing it, you don't deserve to be there because also don't forget that like we pay for them. That's we true. literally yes, pay their salaries. True. So they should be working yeah. for us and not the other way around.
1: That's right. A hundred percent. And on the, you know, entering um, parliament question, you know, I think like um, parliamentary politics is one way of creating change, but it is only one way of creating change. And, um, you know, you never say never, I suppose, but like my theory of change is, is, is rooted in communities and this idea that, um, you know, politicians play by a set of rules. Um, and there's what's considered, you know, what's politically possible, this idea of the Overton window, um, and, mm-hmm. and and what's politically possible. And I'm interested in, you know, the battle of ideas. And I think it's very, it's very difficult as a politician to do anything that's outside of the Overton window, that's outside of what's seen as politically possible, because of the various, you know, constraints that are in place, and et cetera, etc, cetera, et cetera. you know, party politics and, and factions and all sorts of different stuff. Um, and so I think that's why civil society is so important, because the role of civil society is to expand what's politically possible, um, and to, to you know, create the the room, the political room for politicians to then move on issues. Um, and we do that by organising communities, building popular support, you know, building power around issues, um, training people, doing all sorts of stuff, encouraging more people to get involved in, in democracy. um uh, eroding the power of you know um, the 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 lobbyists uh, and 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 corporate interests that that serve a you know a tiny minority in this tiny elite. Um, so there's, there's a whole variety of ways to create change beyond uh, uh, parliament.
0: What would you say to um? There's there's an increasing portion of I think particularly young people who really believe that businesses have a role to play in these kinds of advocacy issues Mm. but I'm curious to know your thoughts on that like do you think that that is do you think it's possible to be pursuing profit and also genuinely advocating for some of these issues or do you think it's always going to be colored by the fact that there's money involved
1: Oh, look, I think that's a really interesting question. And, you know, I'd be first to admit I'm certainly not uh, uh, (laughs) some prophet with all the answers. Um, But uh, look, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, try and answer that and then talk more broadly. Um, I think I think it is possible to, to do. It. I think there are there are examples of um, companies that are doing this. You know, you've got an example of like Future Super, which is Australia's first one hundred percent fossil-free superannuation company. I think that's an example of all places in superannuation um, of a company that is trying to use its platform. You know, that was set up um, uh, fundamentally because it saw this. You know, multi-trillion. I think it's a multi-trillion dollar uh, industry. Um, superannuation as a way of. Um, sparking investment in renewables um, at a time when there was um, very little political ambition uh, to invest, you know, public money in renewables. And so, well, if that's the case, well, where, where are some other opportunities we can invest in 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 uh, in renewables? And so, people like Simon Shaker who's, you know, one of the founders. Um, like in, in in their thinking, uh, that's sort of like ha- how how you know the genesis of uh, of Future Super. And I think like that's a, a very that makes sense to me as a theory of change change of like how you want to create the a better world. You know, there are companies like Patagonia that have that are sort of renowned for um uh uh you know their like one, their ethical way of running their business and how they treat their staff um, but also in terms of like just their sustainable practices and producing their products and encouraging recycling and all of these sorts of things. So I think there are definitely ways and these are both successful businesses by the way too. Um, so I think there are definitely Yeah, it's not ways. like they're little
0: tiny, it's not like they're little tiny, you know, small no. businesses like these are serious. Well, Patagonia this, is a global serious brand, business. You
1: know? a super, very well respected. Uh, and so and these are just two examples. Uh, so um, you know, you've got Bank Australia is an example of a bank you know there's the bank the banking industry is being hard well deserved um, for through a number of different crises but you know it's important to remember that even in in those industries there are good examples like Bank Australia that that are doing good so I think I think I think it's it, it is possible um, but like my sense is is that the, the the real conversation is like you know how is the system broken and I think like fundamentally we operate in a system you know a system where growth is the sole commandment where um, that that it prioritizes the Q accumulation of profit over everything, over life itself, I think, you know, that system is fundamentally broken and uh, uh, it, it just can't continue. It's, it, it, you know, it's not sustainable. And even if it was sustainable, even if we didn't think about the fact that it was pushing us to, um, you know, the next great, uh, you know, um, uh, extinction crisis in recorded fossil history, or that it was pushing us to the brink of climate catastrophe, even if it wasn't doing those things, it's just making us really sad as human beings, you know? You look at like them, you don't... You, you can look at the mental health statistics, you know, like uh, more than, you know, one out of two Australians will experience some sort of mental health issue over their lifetime, anxiety or depression. These things are not natural. Um, our society makes us anxious and makes us depressed. And I think that's really rooted in, in work um, and wor- rooted in how our economy treats us as products um, and as automatons, as machines uh, to create products. Um, And judges our value of our ability to create capital and judges our value and our worth of, you know, how much uh, stuff we've accumulated. And I think that's making a lot of us really sad. And I think, um, you know, there's this real opportunity in this to go back to first principles. What are the first principles of life? What are we here on this earth? To do, and I think like one one thing is like to be happy is to live a meaningful life is to spend time with the people who make us happy the people we love our friends our family to do things that make us happy and I think for most people it's probably not working their job you know their forty hour office job There's this stereotype that we all hate our jobs and like you know isn't it isn't it really to me there's something it speaks of something like quite, there's something quite wrong and evil um, that we spend the majority of our lives um, doing something we don't like. You know, this, uh, th- that sounds quite wrong to me. Like the idea that, you know, healthcare for everybody, or the fact that um, um, everybody should have access to housing, or everybody should have access to um, cheap, um, uh, clean energy, you know, the fact that these ideas are sort of considered radical, that everybody, that education should be free, you know, straight up, education should be free. That's a radical idea, apparently, in, in, in our economy. Um, that healthcare but it's so is
0: fundamental, like it's That's so right. basic. They're not, That's these right. aren't, yeah, they're, they're basic ideals, how we get there, you know, how we get there might take some work and and it might take some architecture, but yeah, it's, it's just going back to the basis and figuring out like, you know, I think if a lot of people actually really sat down and, and really, really thought about what they wanted in their life. And I've done this too. It's surprising how quickly you realize it's completely separated from the idea of money. Like when I was Mm. younger, I would have thought that I wanted to be rich and I wanted to have lots of money. And so you need to have the big job because that gives you the big salary and all the rest of it. But when I sat down and actually took an audit of what I wanted in my life, you don't need that much money (laughs) to have the things that really make you happy. Yeah,
1: that's right. Like you need some
0: Uh, money, you know, like you need some of it, but you don't need as much as I think we've, kind of got ourselves into this world where we think you need loads but yeah, when you really right. strip it back you don't
1: yeah and that means right. we and can
0: take ourselves out of this crazy system and look at it from the outside and go wait what's broken here like if i don't need that much and and you don't need that much like can we start to kind of break down
1: a hundred percent yeah and i think you know like i i just reflect like a status quo that says um, you know, that housing for everyone is a radical idea. Well, like, that's just a radical status quo. Um, uh, it's like everybody should be, have a, a roof over their head. Homelessness should not be a thing. Poverty should not be a thing. In a, in a country as affluent, you know, we are one of the wealthiest countries in the world, Australia, at the mm-hmm. wealthiest time in human history. Um, and you look at the US, like, the US is, like, just extremes on everything. Um, poverty should not be a thing there. Like, homelessness should not be... That is the wealthiest country in the world in, the, in, in history, there's been no country as greater wealth amassed as the United States. And yet the fact that like, it's an extraordinarily unequal country, like, there's just something really broken and radical, quite radical. It's not, you know, the, 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 the vision that we're talking about here is not radical. Like the status quo that we're operating in, that is quite radical. Um, and so I, like, I think it'd be great to have a conversation around, like, what is a, a society designed to maximise human potential look like, you know, instead of profits? Like what does a society that that's designed to maximise human development look like? Um, that would be a conversation worth having.
0: I mean, we could have spent a week talking about it and we still probably wouldn't figure out exactly how to fix a broken system. Yes, yes. But for people listening, what do you recommend as, I suppose, really responsible ways that they can advocate for positive change? in this yeah. world that we live in?
1: Well, I think uh, you know, I think it starts with the recognition that there are structural inequalities like deeply embedded in the operating system of the status quo. And if that's the case, then that means that different communities experience issues. Um, in different ways So different communities expe- Not everybody experiences The climate crisis for example Environmental degradation for example In the same way um, And so I think that's like An important starting qu- a starting place That you might be impacted by this issue um, But other people are like Impacted by it in different ways And potentially worse ways And the same thing goes for racism Or gender inequality Or se- sexism or homophobia Or whatever it is um, And so I think it's, it's really important To when you're you're doing advocacy To, to take stock of like Your own relative privilege and what areas are you privileged and in what areas are you not um and you know we have multiple intersecting identities um and it's important to like be cognizant of all of those and in the areas where you're privileged like what does that mean for your responsibility in that area like how can you you know what what does it say about your responsibility to step up in that area and in areas where you're not like what does that mean for, for you in terms of advocacy in that area i think that's an important thing you know important sort of internal conversation to have I think the second one is, is recognizing that not all solutions are equal um, and well, let's take climate change as an example you know there are many ways to reduce greenhouse gas emissions um, and some of those ways uh, will replicate or further entrench inequality they'll just reinforce mm-hmm. the the system that got us here in the first place we probably don't want to do that you know other ways <laughs> other solutions are this extraordinary opportunity to reinvent the future and build a society that honours the dignity and humanity of all people. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to not just um, invest in renewables, but like invest in renewables in ways that create millions of good, well-paid, unionised jobs? What does that look like? You know, not just like more cheap labour, and I think the third thing is, 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 we've sort of touched on this, but recognise that there are no silos, like there are no single issues. Everything is connected to each other, you know? Uh, you know, there's a fa- famous um, Martin Luther King quote that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Um, you know, our liberty and our fates are, are bound, Um, And and we shouldn't see ourselves as, it doesn't matter whether you care about climate change, we shouldn't see ourselves as climate activists or environmentalists or anti-racism advocates or labour rights activists or whatever it is. We're just people who believe in a world where justice is real. You know, we believe in a world where the fundamental humanity and value and worth of everybody um, is recognised and honoured and where everybody has an opportunity to succeed and to have their potential for a full and happy life. Uh, to be realised. Uh, and I think, you know, there are um, many barriers to that. Um, you know, climate change is one of them, racism, another one, they, they manifest in a whole variety of different ways. Um, and we're trying to, to tackle those barriers, but we should see them as connected. You know, there's uh, climate activists and environmentalists and anti-racism folks and labour rights people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we all have the same goal. At the end of the day, it's, 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 it's a world and a society um, where everybody is free. Uh, to realise their own opportunity um, and to have their dignity, their fundamental dignity on it.
0: Yeah, there's a saying in feminism actually specifically, if it's not intersectional, it ain't shit. And yeah. that I think applies to every, every issue. They are all connected and we can't just work for the goals of one without working yeah. for the goals of everyone. I love that so much. Tim, thank you for friggin' schooling me in all of this and, and just having a really open and refreshing discussion on it with me. Thanks for giving me your time.
1: Not at all. Thanks for having me.
0: To everybody listening, if you would like to add to this discussion with thoughts of your own, I really mean it when I say my DMs are always open. So send me a message or an email to hey at zfeed.com.au. And if you found this episode thought provoking, please do consider sharing debatable with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, check out Zfeed and just keep talking about it all. We want to change the world one conversation at a time.